Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for The Last of Us Episode 8 and potentially some minor spoilers uh, from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania in our nerd out section. So be warned. My name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, hope you're hungry, because in the airlock... Dinner served! (laughs) Dinner served! Some delicious venison! In the (laughs) airlock, we're talking about The Last of Us, episode 8. And in Nerd Out, it's a theory on Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. You might have heard of it. If you want to jump around, as always, check the show notes for the timestamps. Let's get into it. Coming up next, the airlock. We're stepping out of the airlock and into the restaurant for The Last of Us, Episode 8, titled When We Are in Need, written by Craig Mazin and directed by Ali Abbasi. Uh, and we open in s- with scenes of deep winter. Uh, we see uh, uh, a not-quite-frozen lake somewhere in Colorado. We see a sign for Silver Lake, Colorado. And over these wintry images, we hear the voice of a man saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Uh, the preacher's name is David. He is the leader of a small Christian fundamentalist group whose motto is, when we are in need, he shall provide. And David is reading these lines with sadness, it seems. You know, he's got this, he really projects this kind of like humility, but almost like he's trying to project this humility. He's so, he's been, you know, he's been weighted down with this responsibility, and he's all too familiar with the sadness that that responsibility brings. Uh, There's a young girl and a woman we assume to be her mother sitting close to the preacher. They look distraught. Um, He then asks the girl if she remembers what comes next. She doesn't, so he finishes it for her. He says, and God will wipe the tears from their eyes and there will be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. The former things are passed away. Do you know what that means? Uh, and basically, it means heaven is pretty good. Now, this, uh, the daughter uh, and the woman are the family of, we are soon to find out over the course of this episode, uh, the man who was killed uh, in the previous episode uh, when uh, he, the group of raiders attacked Joel and Ellie. Yeah, it's definitely very interesting. I really like the choice here to show us what happened, show that the raiders were the aggressors, and then to have this kind of opening where they want to flip that on its head. But there's always this creepy edge to it where we know what really happened. We know what these people do to survive. We know they will go out and kill people. But here are the family. Here's the fallout. And it's again, it's that question of what will we do to survive? But here we're not going to get an empathetic version of that story. This is something, as you will gain from the next line that David says, this is something much darker. Well, in the most empathetic reading of a situation like this, you know, in the in the you do what you have to do Mm -hmm. to survive formulation. Right. You get killed taking another people's stuff um, that will just kick off this cycle of retribution, Mm -hmm. you you would imagine. And that's very much what this not just this episode, but this series is is about on a certain level, and it really seems to, no uh, no spoilers, but to be pointing ahead towards the themes and content of the sequel yes. game to It really the Last does. From yeah. Kathleen to here, we're really getting yeah. a lot of hints towards what happens in the in the second part of the game. And it also, like, not to belabor it, but it also, you know, when 
when that's your dad, you don't want to believe they do bad stuff, mm-hmm. right? No, and they I died like, doing something good. They did. They yeah. he died fighting. He was the bad a hero, guys. you know. Yeah, I the bad really, guys killed him. I think that's really powerful, and I think that they do yeah. a great job with this character. Is the young girl being your in character? She is ignorant to what is really going on in this colony, as we will find out. And also, as we later learn, David is a manipulator. He is a groomer. Oh, he par is, excellence. He is a. Yeah. A, a violent, groomer. horrible man. You know, this is this is someone who who is manipulating the people who follow him. And I love that we do get this one moment of somebody who truly believes that they have been wronged and they don't know the context. And obviously to her, it's just a shocking loss. But like you said, I like that it sows that seed of retribution and we'll see the young girl yeah. trying to seek that out later too. Um, the girl asks if... Uh, they can bury her hmm. dad. And a look passes between David and a few picked men here in the uh, what we uh, are soon to learn is like the um, the uh, restaurant of this former resort. Uh, and David is like, nah, you know, the ground is uh, it's frozen. It's frozen solid, folks. Sorry, We're going to have to wait until the springtime. Don't worry. We'll uh, we'll. Uh, let's put a pin in that. Yeah, put a pin we'll in the burying thing. Let's say March, April, we'll come <laughs> back to it. Yeah, and it, as you will, if you've read The Road, if you've watched The Walking Dead, you probably understand at this point what is really going on <laughs> in, yes. in Silver Lake. Because when Day, when she asks that and David shoots a look to his men, you know, including uh, Troy Baker here in a new role who played Joel in the game, you know what's going on, and it is creepy. Uh, you do, AF. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, know. you definitely feel it. And if you don't know right here, you, you get will, an you certainly you certainly understand that something is amiss. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, David uh, bids his congregation goodbye. They head back to their homes, and James, his his lieutenant, comes up. Uh, this is the man that uh, David exchanged the glance with, and they start talking about the um, the stores. How 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 much meat we got left? Elk, venison, all that stuff. And uh, James is like, you know, one or two weeks, some, some somewhere thereabouts. Uh, we and and you learn that David has groups scouring the surrounding area for supplies, but there's really nothing to be found in the, in this in this region. Uh, David then tells James that you know I'm sensing some doubt. Here and James is like, what? No, the congregation, like, obviously, like it's tough. People are hungry. It's very, very cold. But they, they, their faith remains unshaken. And David's like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about you, bro. What about you? And James is like, no, I still believe. The last, and it's always when someone says, I still believe, and then goes on mm-hmm. to keep talking. It's right, the you know, like Nothing that lets off to the butt, right? It's like yeah, I that, still that believe. You know, but. Yeah, there's no butt here, but it feels like it feels it because like a butt. James, James says, I still believe now, and then you know, the last six months have been uh, hard, uh, but he insists that he's with David. Um, but again, it seems like a pretty weak assurance. Uh, back with our friends Ellie and Joel. Um, Ellie is checking on Joel's wound. Uh, you know, it's certainly not bleeding anymore after Ellie's kind of hasty and rough sewing up of the injury, but, uh, you know, infection. And Joel's the regular struggling. Kind. Yeah, is is certainly a concern. And yeah, he and Joel is absolutely out of it. There's this wonderful, like, maternal moment, you know, with the... the the role suddenly flipped where Ellie chews some jerky, you know, almost desperately and then leaves it on, on Joel's blanket for him to eat. Should he rouse himself and need to need to eat? And then she slips away to go hunt. She tries to tackle a rabbit. That doesn't work. She, and then soon after that, she, she spots a deer, takes aim, shoots it. Um, But the animal, it's not a kill shot. So the animal kind of runs. She has to go, find it and of course it drops dead right at the feet of David and James who are in the area looking for forage looking for supplies Ellie gets the drop on him she's like drop your rifles turn around walk away David goes right into preacher mode yeah and he's ready he's ready specifically as we are going to learn over the course of this episode he sees a young girl by herself Mm mm-hmm and David is like, oh, shit, here we go. Yeah. Hey, that's really uh, do what you have is. 10 seconds? Hey, just before you uh, before you uh, shoo us off, uh, 
uh, your dear. Do you have 10 seconds to talk about, uh, you know, w- where you are spiritually? And We're starving. He just goes into his pitch. You, wanna, yeah, you, gotta, you need to help us. We got other people, women, children. You know, he's yeah, going for the guilt them? trip. And he really wants Ellie to go back with him. Now... And 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 he and he offers a trade. He's like, maybe there's something we can help you with. You know, you give us half the deer, and you know we have stuff. And then before he can even like list anything, she just blurts out, "Do you have medicine?" Um, and then David is like, "Aha! Here is a vulnerability. Here is a thing that I can I sense I have leverage here." Uh, and David's like, "Oh yeah, we got uh, we got uh, lots of medicine. You can come back." With us <laughs> to our cabin, Ellie's wisely is like, no, I'm not. Thank do God. That. Um, I was worried she, for a moment, you know, like she's not the most sensible person, but I, I mean, like she, she's that doing here, all this for the first time, you know. Yeah, but I like that here. She she trusts that gut. That's that instinct that when you're a kid, your parents are like, if you feel that, just follow it. Like if somebody yeah. gives you a bad vibe, don't go. And she does the right thing, and she's like, I'm not going back with you. Then she does the slightly less unwise thing but still unwise thing which is she lets james go back to get the medicine he goes david is like hey go get uh, two bottles of penicillin from howard and a syringe and james is like he's just <laughs> looking his eye like is this code he's for trying to decode something? it yeah yeah and and uh david is like it's not code james just do it now when he says it's not code james that should have been ellie's first clue that like oh yeah that's right part of a group i'm sending this guy back he might Uh, tell somebody yeah i need to be i need to be on guard here but it's about joel's Um, survival i think ellie has that tunnel vision this episode just about how can she help the man that she cares so deeply about come through this how can she avoid being alone which you know she said to to sam was her greatest fear yeah so uh david and ellie end up in the ruins of this house, they've uh, built a fire and they're sitting there with this deer carcass and Ellie's got her gun on David the whole time. And David is continuing his pitch. He's like, why don't you join us? Why don't you join our group? Uh, and Ellie's like, it doesn't sound that great because you yourself said that you're starving. Yeah, it doesn't like, sound yeah, like you're true, doing a good job, bro. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you're doing great. You're stealing my deer. <laughs> is that not the case? <laughs> I am a child and I killed yeah. the deer and now yeah. you are stealing it from me. I don't think it sounds like a good trade. And he's like, yeah, but I'm a decent guy and I'm just trying to do uh, right by the people who rely on me. Uh, and she's like, OK, so you're their leader? And he's like, yeah, but but they chose that. They wanted that to be the thing. And Ellie, and this is good. This is actually great that Ellie sniffs this out right away. It's like, mm-hmm. is this some weird cult thing? Like, uh, she she knows. Yes. Very, very the much. The answer is so, absolutely yes. <laughs> yes, babe. Like 100% yes. And it, it, David does not give the most authoritative answer when Ellie says, is this some weird cult thing? And David's verbatim answer, his actual answer is, uh. <laughs> he like starts with this very long, uh. And then he goes, ah, I'm just your basic, yeah, just your basic preacher, Bible preacher. That's it. <laughs> what was the uh, bro? What was yeah, like five like, seconds of uh? Everyone in this colony needs to have better prepared answers you're gonna see this at time and time again i'm like bro you could have just said no if somebody asks you if it's a cult just say no but then we will learn that for some reason throughout this episode probably his own delusional mind but david sees something in ellie that he thinks is a kindred spirit so i also wonder if that's why he doesn't immediately lie to her I'm like he's get like back to, let's maybe get back. I, maybe she likes here, cults i don't want to deny no, it in case she's into it I, I wanted to talk about this when we get to that yeah. moment, but let's talk about it now. I, this is part of David's pitch to Ellie. You know, I, I took that to be David just a flat out is grooming this oh, girl. He is. You're so special. Yeah. Like you're, you're the only one that understands me. You know, all mm-hmm. these people I'm with, they don't get it. They don't get it the they way don't know you what and you I have to do. understand. Yeah, like you really understand what's going on here, and I feel like you're a kindred spirit. Like I took that as, oh, David's an even deeper scumbag yeah. than 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 oh. we could than we are 
than we know about right now. He definitely is. And you see that in the way that he approaches Ellie. Like the actor who brings him to life is so terrifying. Deeply, deeply unsettling performance. In this role. It's so quiet. And it, yeah. But at no point, what I really love about this is they don't try and fake us out. They understand that we know the genre enough that they don't need to make us think, oh, maybe it That's is a good, a good place. Because if you think yeah. about it, like The Walking Dead, I think a lot about the the sanctuary storyline, which was actually one of my favorite storylines where they seek out this place that's allegedly the safe place for survivors. They get there, they get fed, they eat this delicious meal. Lo and behold, oh, actually, you're going to be dinner. Like, <laughs> sorry, what? bro, spoiler yeah, right. alert, like <laughs> yeah. season five, The Walking Dead or whenever that happens. But like... I like here that from the outset, you are just given clues constantly, atmosphere clues, tone clues, visual clues, vibe clues, that David is just bad news. And I think that's a really good way of building the creepiness and tension that kind of leads to this explosion of violence at the end of the episode. X-Ray Vision will be back. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. And we're back. So we get some of David's backstory. He says that um, he was just a math teacher, which, again, bad vibes. Here's a yeah. The the bad vibes continue. Like this is a this was a person working with young people. We should assume and uh, consider what we learn over the course of this episode. Very troubling. And he says, you know, I was not even religious until after the end of the world. We learned that he was at the Pittsburgh QZ, which fell. Uh, due to uh, ongoing battles between Fedra and the Fireflies. And then he and some people started heading west and they'd find a camp and that raiders would attack the camp and then they'd have to move on and picking up people along the way. And that's how they came to be uh, here in Colorado. And he believes that all of that, all of that constant kind of uh, movement to the west, attack, a search for peace, uh, the death on every side, all of that uh, was as it should be because mm-hmm. it's what brought them here. All of this happens for a reason. Don't believe it? Check this out. And then David tells uh, Ellie, recently, I sent out a foraging party of four. And winter's been hard. Food's been scarce. People have been starving. Only three men came back. Now, the man who died was a father. And he was killed by a crazy man traveling with a little girl. And now Ellie's like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. And she stiffens. But before she can even think about pulling the trigger on her rifle, David's saying, James, lower your gun. And we realize that they've already got the drop on her. James, uh, for his part, recognizes that Ellie was the girl who was with the man who killed their companion and their friend. Uh, And David is like, yeah, but forget all that. Just give her the medicine. James is like, what? It's like, yeah, just give it to her. Uh, And then David again offers to take Ellie and he's like, I can protect you. You know, you're out here alone. Mm. This is no place. You know, this this world is not safe uh, for a a young girl alone. Ellie takes the medicine and runs off. And James is like, I can't believe that you're just going to let her get away. Um, but of course he's not going to do that. Yeah. I feel like Um, this is a good sign as well that David is clearly not like a very trusted leader, even though he has this power, he kind of rules through this fear as we'll find out in in a couple of scenes. And also I just find it very interesting that that's James's first thought. It's not like, oh, you, oh, obviously we're going to follow her or what's the plan next? The, the, he just thinks like, oh, you saw a young girl and you gave her what you wanted because you're a creep. Like, it's it's really interesting. I, they show I you so many dynamics in these small moments. I think that that's right. And I think that it's even more insidious than that because it tells you that David has, even from his followers, mm-hmm. a secret side. Yes. Because James is like, the the fact that James doesn't understand 
of course David's not going to leave it here. Mm -hmm. This is not the end of it. You think he's that was just like largesse? That was just generosity? Mm -hmm. No. The fact that James doesn't pick that up lets you know that David has a deeper, more secret side from the people who, uh, you know, he's ostensibly in this like intimate leadership Mm -hmm. role with. I love that, actually, because that is a great read where it's like David's falsification of who he is and this kind of kindness and generosity he has actually sold that to them so well that James could yeah. believe that he would just give this away because he thinks it's the right thing to do. And I love I love that pickup that I almost kind of didn't even realize when I was watching that he wasn't a preacher before. When you read it in the context after a couple of rewatches and then talking about it with you, that is just so creepy because that is a man who picked up the beliefs of others in order to become a cult yep. leader to make the most of a post-apocalyptic situation for himself. That's so horrifying. And I think that, I wrote about this at IGN this week, like about this episode. I think that is the notion of why these kind of characters are always presented as the scariest thing you can come up against in an apocalypse. What if it wasn't the best of us who thrived at the end of the world, but the worst of us? Yeah. And David is absolutely that, a man who knew how to manipulate the end of the world into a situation that now he is incredibly happy with because he's surrounded by women and children who he is in control of. Very scary stuff. There, This is a great point. Now, in that opening scene where you see David with his flock in that restaurant, the first thing that struck me was, one, the... Uh, the women and the men were separate. Mm-hmm. You saw a mother with a with a, a young daughter. You saw another mother with a young daughter who we didn't, we didn't meet them too much. Um, but then all the men sit at their own tables. And it's really only David mm-hmm. that addresses the women. And, th- and who walks among them as just well. Feel, yeah. Immediately you're like, this is, there's something not right here. This is not good. Whatever is going on here is not right. Now, uh, it's just not. It's certainly it's off. And we're about to get to see very soon even more of that really nightmarish dynamic. So Ellie returns to Joel. She just kind of guesses like where to inject the antibiotics. Um, She does it right into the wound. You know, painful, but probably good choice. Like, sure. Good choice. Yeah, good as, as good a choice as any. We go back to um, Silver Lake and the resort. <laughs> Dinner is getting cooked up. It looks like very, very red meat. Yeah, it looks very fresh. Seeing as weren't they just very, very running fresh out of meat? meat that surely you would yeah. have jerkied, etc. We're putting this in tomato sauce. Um, Doesn't look very that's seasoned. What we have not going to lie I, because yeah, because that's what we have. But also, like it'll help cover up uh, any kind of the redness, the gamey and, texture. Uh, yeah, <laughs> folks are kind of sitting around with their plates of this meat. Um, and it, it, there's a great moment. It says <laughs> there's a it. great moment when it's being cooked up, right? Where um, uh, the woman who is stirring all, you know, everything into the pot uh, says to the guy who brings this tray of meat, oh, what is it? And he just goes... Well, first, there's a long pause, mm-hmm. like a two to three, se- like a very, very Too long. Too long. The pause again. Pause. Get a quicker answer in your head. Yeah. Friend. And then he just goes, venison? <laughs> like, almost <laughs> like it's a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has the little lilt of that. Venison? Are you going to accept that? <laughs> so, you know, everybody's uh, sitting around eating their or getting ready to eat their plates of venison. And you can see there's a there's a really great kind of very, very small moment here where you see various people eating. Mm -hmm. Some of them are tearing into it. Others are like just nibbling at it. Mm -hmm. Others seem wary of it, like openly wary. And that is when David and James return with this big deer that they took off Ellie. Um, And David could not be happier uh, to be bringing this meat in. But then he sees that, oh, People are like, wait, what are we eating? Yeah, everyone if else is like, you bro, just showed like... up. <laughs> yeah, if you just showed up with the meat. What am I eating right now? And mm-hmm. David's like, hey, listen, okay, wait, 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 wait. This is one of the great fake outs in this episode too, where David and David says, okay, hold on, let me. I need to say something. I know there are rumors going around the camp, okay, and they're true. 
I found the girl who was with the guy <laughs> who murdered one our friend. It's so good. Because you're like, is yeah. he about to, is he about to? Yeah, I, was like, I really thought like he's about to say, hey, listen. You got to do what you got to uh, do, know, bro. We were starving. <laughs> yeah, we're it's starving. this time, yeah. baby. It's so. happening. We're eating some people. Yeah, I no. love, I love that note that you made as well. Like, it's so well done to see the way that some people are just eating it so heartily. Some people are wary. Some people are nibbling. Because, like, we can tell just from the narrative storytelling of one episode that David is off-key and that that glance he gave to James meant her dad's getting eaten. So, of course, the people in the room would feel the same way. I like that respect of the intelligence of the characters and the intelligence of the audience to know that it's not realistic that every single person in there would just be yamming down the food, acting like it was completely normal. Yeah. There's going to be people who are starting to cotton on to what David and James are doing. And here we see how oh, David keeps control of these people. He does it, one, through his generosity with sharing this food. Mm-hmm. Communism. It turns, out to, it turns out to be, uh, you know, people. Spoiler. Uh, two, by creating these external threats, he says, hey, I found the man. I found the girl. I know where she is. We're going to send the search party out tomorrow. And we're going to get revenge. He's out there. We're going to get him. Uh, And then three through outright fear and violence. Mm -hmm. The girl whose father uh, was killed is like, I want them both dead. Why not kill the girl too? Like, why are you going to bring her back here? Seems like a good point. And also, like, I will say as well, I think this is another great narrative choice because surely that seems like what the leader would want. And that would have been a great moment for David to be like, you're right, my child. Like, we will get justice and vengeance just like an eye for an eye in the Bible or whatever. But that is not the way David reacts. And it tells us so much about him and this colony. He uh, slaps this young girl to the floor. Yeah, like off her chair. Uh, off her chair. Nobody moves. Nope. Everybody, everybody stays nailed to their seat. And he says, you know, basically, uh, I'm your father now. You have to respect me or this is what happens. Now, let's mm-hmm. say grace uh, and uh, eat dinner, which is probably your dad. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, yeah, it's so creepy. He's like, you think you've lost your father, but you still no. have a father. That's and right. And he's, oh, so creepy. And then he's like, and now eat your father. So there's lots of father. Yeah, now eat your father. On. He'll be part of you forever. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, next, the next day, uh, Joel, hard to tell if he's getting better or not. Um, Ellie goes outside to get some air and she sees a flock of crows go up maybe half a mile away, very, very close. And she realizes that something is coming from that way. Uh, she sneaks around. She spots them. This is five, maybe six men, including David and James. Uh, and of course, they are here to kill Joel if he isn't dead already. Uh, and uh, David orders them to bring Ellie back. She is not to be harmed. Uh, James is like, it's just another mouth to feed. No, like, what do we have to, uh, maybe we let her stay here and, and, and die or we kill her. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's God's will. Yeah. And, I, and David gives James the most chilling stare. Oof. Yeah. It's so scary. And I also love this moment because after watching it again, look, I'm not trying to make any justification for James's behavior here. And Troy is so great in this character. Like it's so believable, this kind of weird, like, weakness this like tweaky weakness of following david but i also wonder like does he have an inkling like do these men think ellie would be better off to just be shot in the street than to go back and be with david like that maybe he doesn't want to kill another person to actually feed them to someone else like there's something here that i think is actually more than this idea of a mouth to feed like i think there is a it deep down somewhere there is a slight act of mercy as he sees it to just shoot her in the snow instead I of taking her back. That's an interesting read as well. Um, it's, you know, certainly that idea of, well, it's better this way mingled with the sincere vengeance that he is mm-hmm. seeking certainly exactly. would make the killing the young girl a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellie tries to rouse Joel. No bueno. Uh, desperately, she puts her knife in his hand and is like, listen, I'm going to try and lead them away. But if I can't, this is for anybody that comes down here. Joel is like just barely with it. He does not seem all the way conscious. Ellie then seals up the house, like puts a puts a piece of furniture in front of the cellar door, uh, gets on the horse and goes galloping down the street. She 
you know, runs up on the guys, says, hey, motherfuckers, shoot your <laughs> pistol shot at them, and then rides off. Uh, and they're ready to shoot her, uh, but David is like, no, alive, alive, alive. I want her alive. James then shoots Ellie's horse out from under her. R.I.P. horse. Uh, we didn't know your name, but it was really sad to see you go. Um, Ellie is con- gets the first of several concussions that she will get over the course of this episode. Oh, man. Her brain she scrambled is up in there. She's I mean, struggling. she's like le- legitimately unconscious for like yeah. an hour, like a long time. It's actually medically concerning. Mm-hmm. They capture her easily. James is about to kill her when David shoots in the air and is like, no. Then he carries her off himself, which is fucked up. And then is like, you all, I'm going to take, I'll take her back by myself to uh, to our camp. You stay here and you look for Joel. Yeah, he's like, if you, you want vengeance, it. get it that way. It's Leave here. her alone. Go get your get vengeance him. here. And sorry to them. They don't realize that they're essentially going up against the Terminator. Like, if you yeah, take it's... a kid from Joel, if you take a little girl from Joel, if you take a baby from Pedro Pascal, as we know, you're going to yes. be in trouble. So it is is not going to go well for them, but good good for them for trying to get their vengeance. Let's see how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. What follows is Joel Wick. Uh, <laughs> Joel Wick, know. exactly. But it's <laughs> Ellie instead of the little puppy. He, um, you know, the first victim... Sneaks into the house that Joel is in, uh, drags the obstacle away from the cellar door, creeps down there, sees the bloodstained mattress, is like, who's down here? And then Joel stabs him in the shoulder slash neck and in classic uh, Joel fashion. Square, 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 square. Square, 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 square. (laughs) He's like choking him out so he can't cry out and you get this really stark shot of the light going out of this guy's eyes and you yeah. stare at it for a long time. Like, you just see this ma- the dead man's face they, and you watch him die. They value life so much, the creators of this show, and I, I think it's something that really makes this stand out from pretty much any other post-apocalyptic storytelling. Even the game. I think it's one of the smartest choices they made in adapting it they to TV. They make you feel You feel every death. Every yeah. time somebody dies, it's horrific. It's, it's terrible. Every time someone is her it's horrific even if they've done something there is a cathartic nature to what joel is doing but i like your john wick reference because there's that moment you know obviously love john wick like the stuntman movie of all time i I, and i love keanu and there's that great moment where it's like he's like yeah i guess you could say i was back and this is definitely like old joel is back this is that joel that we have heard about you know this yes. is that Joel. Everyone, oh, Joel did so many bad things, Ellie. You can't trust him. You can't. You don't know the things that he did. We've seen reluctant Joel. We've seen tired Joel. That's a great but point. But this is assassin right. Joel. This is going to right. kill you no matter what you tell him, Joel. This where is, is the thing that I want? Yeah. Tell me where it is. And when you tell and, me, and, I'll kill you. And we've we've spent the last several episodes talking about Joel's uh, lack of comfort with mm-hmm. anything that seems like peace yep. or happiness or the potential for happiness or the potential to grow new bonds. It's the hard he, way. He wants the hard he way. Which he sees as like something to be taken from. This is Joel in his element. This yes, is Joel I doing the thing take. that he is comfortable doing mm-hmm. and that's dealing out pain to people and, it's and bearing the cost himself, bearing the cost on his own body. Um, Ellie comes to in a holding cell. David is there. He's been watching her sleep. Ooh. And he's like, listen, I'm the only thing keeping you from being torn apart by my followers. They want to kill you. But I'm here saying, no, 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 let's give her a chance. Uh, um, so why don't you just tell me your name? And she's like, eat shit. David really, really wants Ellie to join up. And he keeps on pitching this story about I can protect you. He's offering her a new life. He's like, listen, that whatever you did before your life is over before this day. It's over. Your relationship with that man, that's done. It's coming to an end. This is your new life. It's starting right now. Back at the town, Joel is continues to go full Joel. Mm -hmm. He is he takes out two more of David's men. He takes them captive, drags them to a house and uh, tortures them until they point out one of them points out where Ellie is on a map. Yeah. Then he kills that guy and then he picks up a pipe and he beats the fucking other guy's brains in. Yeah. It's this is this is one of those moments where I just think 
we're constantly blown away by Pedro. He's such a brilliant actor. Like we've seen him, we've seen how brilliant he is in The Mandalorian. We've seen this kind of quiet, stoic, tortured man that he can be in The Last of Us. He's also a brilliant comic actor. You know, we've seen so many brilliant sides to him. But there is such a determination and violence in this sequence. Like he is going to pop a man's kneecap off with his knife. There's a comfort level too that, in that oh, scene. Easy. Specifically, the way he like when he jams that his knife into the into the you know right behind the guy's kneecap and says, "I'm just going to pop it off." You understand in that moment that Joel's done all this before. So this many is times. not new. He's done this. He's gotten people to tell them the thing that they don't want to tell. It's him. a routine. And it it makes so much of the earlier episodes make sense. I mean, imagine how uncomfortable it was for him to sit with Bill at their house and to pretend to be civil when he knew that what he could really do was kill Bill and take what he wanted. You know, this is the way that Joel gets things. And to see him, I thought it was really one, as game players will know. This was needed in the series to show what Joel could do because Joel is not going to stop doing this. And we needed to understand that because we have not seen this kind of explosion of violence from him in this way yet. And that moment where the guy tells him, you know, he's in agony. He points out the map in this kind of with the knife on the blood on the knife. Joel just kills him. And that's when his friend realizes, oh, shit, I'm going to die. And he and the guy and the guy begs for his life. He's, he's like, like, "Why did you do he that?" Told you, like, yeah, you told him, but he did, yeah. And, and I think Joel says um, something like, "He's like, don't worry, he did tell me." And then he just beats his head yeah. in with a pipe. And it's yeah. just like this: something has flicked a switch in his head. And Ellie is Sarah. Sarah is Ellie. Ellie is his daughter. Sarah is his daughter. This is you fucked up, and there's no going back. X-ray vision will be back. Hey, Hotels.com here. Tired of living like a sardine? We know a hotel where you can enjoy the open ocean. Book hotels with ocean views in the Hotels.com app. Find your perfect somewhere. And we're back. We go back to Ellie. Uh, She's alone in the cage. She's trying her darndest to escape. She's trying to unscrew little pieces of the fencing uh, of the gate hardware itself. Uh, And as she's doing that, she sees something across the room that absolutely shakes her. She goes white. And that's when David comes in with a tray of food. He slides this food under the cage. Uh, and then we see what Ellie is terrified of. This is like the smear of blood oh. on the floor and a human ear. And David realizes he's caught, you know, to to a certain degree. And he says, "Yeah, if, you know, for what it's worth, um, this is just deer meat. I swear." Yeah, and then he and then he switches tactics. This is how switches you know, up. This man is a master manipulator. He's like, now I'm just going to kind of make a joke about it. This is deer meat. Like I'm giving you the good stuff. Don't worry. And this like, is when this is when the true grooming really takes yes. place. He's like, hey, listen, I'm letting you in. into my confidence mm-hmm. now. You're in the inner circle now. Only a few people know that we're eating people. And what is the old- and then you're yeah, you join us and you're going to be part and of that. You know, you're going. This is so scary. Because this is the ultimate first step of any kind of grooming and any kind of behavior that you don't want a kid to follow, which is an adult telling a kid, I know something secret and you can't tell anyone. This will be our secret. So they do this here, but they pose it as him telling her about them being cannibals. But we know what it really is. He's bringing her into his confidence. He wants her to feel like she owes him. He wants her to feel like there is something she knows that nobody else knows. It's so creepy and so well done. Uh, he says, listen, I'm not proud of the fact that we're cannibals. Um, but, but you also get the sense that he'll do anything to keep himself in control oh, yeah. of his group. That's what this is all really about. And it's not about survival. It's just about control. Mm-hmm. It's about maintaining his iron control over the people that, that fall under his sway and using them 
to satisfy himself however exactly. he wants to. I also think it's really important to point out, like, one, eating, uh, you know, scientifically, people know that eating human meat makes people sick because you're not supposed to do it. You can catch brain infections, things like Kuru, whatever. So he's not really protecting people. And the bigger issue here, as we talk about grooming, is consent. David admits that most people who are eating the meat do not know. He did not go out of his way to tell them. He did not pose this as some kind of democratic solution. Look, let's be real. In the post-apocalyptic... You're starving. You do what you have to do. But at least you do bring it up to a debate. Hey, what do we think? What do we think? Should we do this? And also as well, realistically, in cannibal... In a post-apocalyptic situation, there would actually probably be many cannibals. There might even be a cannibal black market of meat and jerky and all different kinds of things. But David doesn't care. He doesn't want to democratize it. He doesn't want to have a conversation. It's about about manipulating people. It's about making people do something that is so taboo, so horrific, and keeping it from them. This is all part of his game. He enjoys... I mean, look, also, let's be real. Do we really think all the deer's gone? I don't think so. Ellie found one so easily. Yeah. You know, this is this is control. Better, this guys. is something that he yeah. is choosing to do because he enjoys it. And he kind of gets into that as he as he keeps trying to groom Ellie. And he keeps saying, you know, you're you're a natural leader, you're smart, you're loyal. You you're remind violent. me of you're me. Like me. You and then he says, you know, I've always had a violent heart. I struggled with it, but then the world ended and I was shown the truth. And here you you really get the sense that he's actually coming clean on a certain level. Mm -hmm. He is actually telling her a secret that the rest of the group doesn't know. The rest of the group thinks, uh, you know, after the fall of the world, uh, David found God. No, Mm -hmm. David, but David's God is the cordyceps. And he says, look at, look at the way, first of all, it's, it won. And look at the way it won. It's fruitful. It multiplies all over the place. It protects itself. It protects its children and it secures its future through violence. Uh, and Ellie's like, why are you telling me all this? Uh, because you can handle it the way the others can't. Now, and, you know, he then tells her like, oh, I see you as an equal. You know, we're going to be partners in this. Ellie asks about Joel. Uh, and David says, you know, I can I can tell the others to stop looking for him. They'd spare him. They'd do that. I, I have that kind of pull. I can do that. He places his hand on the bars Think of what we could do together. We could make this place perfect. And she moves towards him. Place He places his hand on hers. Imagine the life we could build. And, and Ellie says, whoa. And then bends his finger back and breaks it. Yeah, she snaps he's it. Stunned, she snaps it. Badass. Uh, there's a satisfying little pop, too, mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, uh, in, the, <laughs> in the sound mix. And then she, uh, as he is stunned and, and kind of dealing with this immediate pain, she is trying to grab the keys off his belt. Um, uh, he grabs her, knocks her head into the bars, concussion number two, and she goes down. And he says, you little cunt, let's see what I go tell the others now. This petulant side now, the anger coming out. Ellie says, like, I'm, you can tell them I'm the little girl who broke your fucking finger. Meanwhile, Joel, uh, one of the great performances through injury in the history of, <laughs> of, uh, of, of sports and performance. He's going, he's Joel, pushing through. He's like uh, Michael Jordan's flu game. He's got uh, a gut full of penicillin, a stab wound in his abdomen, but he's going for it, folks. He manages to make it to Silver Lake. He breaks into um, what turns out to be the storehouse um, that the group is using, and he finds some of Ellie's stuff, and he knows that she's there. Uh, And then he looks in the other room. He sees their horse. May she rest in peace. And then he turns the corner, he sees some boats, and then just past the boats, he sees a couple of headless corpses that are just hanging, waiting to be butchered. Uh, Oh, shit. Meanwhile, David and James drag Ellie out of their cage, and they're about to cut her up. For real. Like, this is about to happen. Yeah, this is, we didn't talk about this yet either. Like, one of my favorite things about this episode, so they're in the, the steakhouse, right, this old restaurant, and they actually... It's this brilliant piece of production design that outside Ellie's cage, there's this huge wooden kind of butchering table that's just covered in little bloody nicks. And it's so horrific, but it's so mundane in the context of being in this butchering steakhouse until you realize what they've been butchering on it. And they're and they're putting on her and I guess she's fighting them. I think that and, and that's when she bites him. Right. 
Uh, yes. He picks up and, the cleaver and she bites him and she's fighting and for she her did, life. And as they are about to bring this cleaver down uh, and start cutting her up, she screams, I'm infected. And now so are you. And David looks at the bite on his <laughs> hand. She's like, hey, roll up my sleeve. Take a look at this. And they see the the, uh, the trademark cordyceps looking kind of scar. But it's also, it's weird, right? It's clearly mm-hmm. healed. And James is clearly absolutely fucking freaked out. He's freaked out. And David's like, but yeah, but this doesn't make sense. She hasn't turned. She would have turned already. Uh, and then suddenly in this moment of confusion, it's this is really great. Like it, this is just a well-paced scene mm-hmm. where you don't know, like, you know, usually if something like this is not done well, the distraction is very obvious. It yeah. seems like there's too much time. Ellie just strikes and she grabs the cleaver, boom, uh, right into James's head. James is now dead. Uh, and then she flees as David is shooting at her. Ellie finds herself uh, in the restaurant of the old resort. And for people who've played the game, they they recognize this setting and they recognize this boss battle. I think for me, probably the hardest... It's the hardest part actual of the game. Fight. It, for me, the hardest fight in the game, just because, I mean, it was one, very, very scary. And two, that this boss incongruously for what the game is just like had like clicker level mm-hmm. hit points that's yeah even though he's it's just a, a human just a guy um so uh ellie now finds herself in the restaurant she arms herself with like a smoldering log she throws it it lights the building on fire now it's starting to go up uh and meanwhile david is completely unfazed by the fact that his this place is burning down all around him and he is calling to her. He's talking to her in this creepy way. He's just obsessed just like with the Ellie. boss in the this is just like the fight in the in the video game. And he's saying, you know, Ellie, you know, he's like calling her name. Uh the fire is spreading. Uh he's he tells her he's gonna keep her. You know, like now, you know what? No one's gonna die. I was gonna mm-hmm. kill you. You're not gonna die now. Now I'm gonna keep you. I'm gonna teach you. And he's saying all these really horrendous things to her um she lunges when his back is turned he swings the cleaver she gets below it stabs him in the side he is leaking he's really hurt now but ellie is also stunned this is her third now the her third concussion mm-hmm. after being knocked out for like t- you know an hour and a half or something um he then climbs on top of her he's he's choking her He's clearly going to assault her. He says, oh, I thought you already knew the fighting is the part I like the most. And he's saying, really, he's uh, like, it, you don't need to be scared of my love. My love, it's love. Yeah. You don't need to be Here scared of Here is the real this. guy. Yeah. You know, all the artifice, all the kind of like this uh, warm smiles and Bible verses. Here is the real guy. This and is the so man insidious- he is. This is who he yes, wants this to is be. The this person is person he really is. What he enjoys. This is what he lives for. This is why he thinks everything happens for a reason because he's set himself up in a society where he can do this again and again and again, or well, so he thinks. What's so insidious and evil about this mm-hmm. guy is that he knows that even in this fucked up world, the things that he wants will not be accepted by people. Mm-hmm. So he has to use the things that are accepted by people to get control of them so he can get the things that he wants. He understands it's it's all put on to him so that he can get to this moment where he's taking whatever he wants from whoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in that moment, Ellie just snaps. She grabs a cleaver, stabs him with it, and then proceeds to chop him up for like a solid five seconds like a at long least time. she Full is chopping rage. him up this is like directly from the game too like she is yeah, chopping him the fuck from up. The game. like pieces she's getting covered in blood again in the game we have seen ellie more decisively murder people before this but this is a very smart choice to essentially have her first real kill be this huge explosion of violence that is vengeful, that is righteous, that is horrific. It's absolutely right. You know, what could be more righteous than defending your own life and Mm -hmm. body? And she's doing it in this moment and in in a state that, you know, you can imagine the adrenaline that's running through and not to mention, as we, you know, (laughs) mentioned several times. Many concussions. She's she's had. Yeah, she's not like 
she's not okay. You know, she's not fully with it. It is just truly fight or flight. And she chooses fight and she chops the shit out of this guy. She flees, goes outside the burning restaurant uh, and Joel finds her. Uh, grabs her from behind. She's still in fight mode. Um, but he says, look, it's it's me, it's me, it's me. And then they embrace and he says, it's okay, baby girl. Uh, and you get this, the final, like, it feels like uh, a stone in this bridge mm-hmm. between them. You know, the, it, it truly a father and daughter kind of relationship now. The father she never had, the daughter that he lost. And you feel that mm-hmm. like has been built now. Um, it's through these horrible circumstances and then they head off together. Um, what a terrifying and really disconcerting yeah. and powerful, really powerful episode. Definitely the most like, horrifying episode yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it really like, first of all, a, an incredible performance by Scott Shepard as mm-hmm. David where you really, f- you know, that feeling of. If it's too good to be true, it must be. He, you know, the way he speaks, his patter, the way he would only show his rage a few times, his secrecy, and mm-hmm. yet, like here he is, this this man of God who's so secretive. This is a great performance and a really, really eerie performance. And I do like the way this show and series has been structured, much like the game where. We go to a place, you know, we we vanquish it, we move on, and then we never mm-hmm. see these people again. But I do – I also wonder, man, it would have been it, – it would be nice to to have a villain, you know, that like pursues. Yeah. Um, but it is – it's it's really created this interesting tenor and tone and texture of this show where it's like one horrifying existential mm-hmm. obstacle after another. Yeah, I also think there's such an interesting – kind of skill that the creative team have showcased here which is you know they created Kathleen as a new character right and that is arguably our first big like oh the most dangerous thing isn't the clickers you know it's the humans but it's such a different tone and tenor and story to what we see with David, even though arguably you're sending out the same message. And that, to me, that nuance between Kathleen still had a righteous vengeance, a righteous anger that she perceived, and she knew she was lost in it. There was a a self-awareness there. That was more of a tragic, even though she was a horrific, cold-blooded killer in the end, as we saw. It's so interesting to me that you can do that storyline and then... Three episodes later, you can have another human antagonist, but that is so different and so scary and so completely evocative of a different kind of fear. And I just think that is such a compliment to the way they're telling these stories to be able to do that twice. The Walking Dead would do that, but it would be in different seasons. You know, this is one season where we go from someone like Kathleen and then we meet David and we see a completely different kind of person. And I think... Something that I to- I think you're totally right, like the chapter narrative is almost sequential in a way that, you know, we talk about that with Star Wars, like the story of a week. Here it's the location yeah. of the week, which is very the much... Loca- yeah, and then we move on. Exactly. And I, it's really interesting because definitely David is so scary and that community is so horrifying but so kind of interesting as a psychological study you could have had three or four episodes there you could have david be recurring but that narrative choice to just keep moving to to recognize that part of the game where you kill someone you leave you move on you go to the next town i think it's quite a brave choice for prestige storytelling and it really is nice i'm still every day surprised that they chose to just do the game in nine episodes. And it makes me so happy because you could have, we could have been just getting to Kathleen oh, now. They could have milked it. Yeah, they could have milked it three out. seasons, you know? And I, I just, I'm always impressed by that choice. And I think it's really paying off. Yeah. I, I The other thing about this episode, you knew that, you know, I never asked myself, where the fuck is everybody else? Mm-mm. Where the hell is, uh, for one, most of David's like fighting men had been 
got chewed up by this engagement. <laughs> you know, like had you know, like Joel, Joel took care them of up. them. Yeah, and then the rest of them, as we saw from James, who was you know, in many ways David's closest confidant, they were probably they were on some level waiting for some sign that they don't have to do what this guy mm-hmm. is saying anymore. Yes. Like, I, I, I can't yeah, imagine I like anybody coming. I, I think it was, it's actually evocative of like his leadership style mm-hmm. that nobody is like running towards this burning yeah. building to figure out like what's gone wrong. Yeah. And they're I, probably like, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> and I know it's true. And I think as well that for the women, the children, the kind of the citizens, oh. they're too scared. They don't yeah. do anything unless he tells them to. And I actually think that's really interesting because you're right. It's evocative of the leadership style. But also, a lot of times when men groom younger women and groom children, groom teenagers, it's because people their own age will not interact with them, will not respect their behavior, their abusiveness. And I think in that way as well, David knows that James doubts him. He knows that these adult men are kind of turning against him. So he's looking to Ellie. He's saying, we can start something new. You can be my confidant. Yeah. And in that way, it, it evokes that too. I I thought the writing on this was, was so well done and so kind of devastating and just horrific, but never in a way that felt inauthentic. Like it felt mm-hmm. true to who David is in this show. And yeah, just wow. And Bella, Bella really going for that Emmy, I feel like, at this point. Once oh, we get into, like, episode eight. Pedro, obviously. I mean, I feel like yeah. he's a shoo-in after this. Um, well, up next, let's go into Nerd Out. And, of course, we're going to continue our Last of Us coverage uh, right up until the finale. Stay tuned. <laughs> In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or share a theory that you're excited about, which, you know, we love theories, Seth offers an intriguing Quantumania X-Men crossover theory, which obviously we're incredibly happy to share because we bloody love the X-Men. So, Jason, I will allow you to do the honor. Hello, Jason and Rosie. Since watching Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, I've been wondering about the rebels that we meet in the quantum realm. Is it just me or does it feel like we have been introduced to the MCU's version of the X-Men? Quaz could easily be a codename for Professor X. There is a Cyclops character who blasts energy beams from his face, a character who uses blades and has regeneration skills, and there's also a character that is a blob, <laughs> a.k.a. I'm saying this, not uh, not Seth. Yeah, I immediately thought, oh, that's fucking glob herman yeah uh i would love your thoughts seth uh i think while i don't think that those are the x-men i think you're onto something in that the power set did analogs. feel absolutely yeah, did feel very pointed yeah also i, I mean w- when you in, in a marvel context mm-hmm. when you introduce a character who can read everybody's thoughts like you know what i think you know what you're doing yeah and i think as well something i was really interested in they talked a lot about this being a kind of Wizard of Oz inspired story where they venture into this alternate world, this kind of multiversal plane, you know, the quantum realm being its own space and time. I do wonder, and I would love this, Seth, you inspired this. I hadn't thought about this before, but maybe there's a world where William Jackson Harper is our MCU Charles. And that was just an alternate universe version of him. You know, in every universe, he has the the psychic powers, you know. I think as well, I, I think it's really great that you caught on to this because the truth is they do this for fans. They put these analogs yeah, in. They say, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we had a, you know, oh, wait, isn't this kind of like the, uh, the the giant size crew? Like, oh, what if we just added one yeah. more character? So I, I love that. I don't necessarily think that those are going to be the final versions, but I would love to see a world where we get some kind of recognition that perhaps this was some foreshadowing or seeding or some multiversal plane. If not, I just want to see William Jackson Harper come back again because I just think, like, put him in more stuff. And also him as Charles. I would love to see it, actually. I think that would be fantastic. Thank you so much, Seth. And of course, if you have any theories or passions you want to share, hit us up at x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions in the show notes. That's it for us, Rosie. Any plugs? Plug, 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 plug. You can read my uh, Last of Us coverage at IGN. 
I have some cool it, stuff folks. coming up at Polygon. You can check out my website, rosynight.com, where you can find all my work and read some cool comics. Uh, I am Rosie Marks on Letterboxd and Instagram. And then obviously here twice a week. Catch the next episode on Friday, March 10th for episode two of The Mandalorian. And remember, we are bringing you two episodes a week, every Wednesday and Friday on your podcast deliverer of choice that's where you can find us twice the pedro pascal twice the babies twice the pedro (laughs) escorting children across a wasteland find us every wednesday and friday in your ear holes and if you want to see us with your eyeballs as well as listen with your ear holes you can subscribe on youtube we have a very good amount of subscribers i'm very impressed that's thanks to jason and bringing that channel over so if you go there subscribe you can watch full episodes Delon does a great job with those follow us at XRV Pod on Twitter where we're always sharing cool stuff retweeting a lot of Pedro Pascal love at the moment and check out our Discord you can meet tons of amazing fans all kinds of rad people there talking about all kinds of rad stuff some of the stuff is outside of the realm of X-Ray too so if you're a little bit of a newcomer to it's the just stuff a place that we talk about yeah. it's just a place to hang out and there's all different kinds of conversations going in there and me and Jason are in there all the time it's linked to my letterbox so there's a whole channel where you can just laugh at all my bad movies that I watch which people <laughs> have a lot of fun doing it's rather joyful and of course let's not forget about the need for five star reviews Five-star ratings, five-star reviews. We gotta have them. We need them. We desperately plead for them every episode. You gotta give them to us. Here's one from Jan Hart. The Last of Us. I discovered your show through Crooked Media and found the episode about The Last of Us. So good and informative. I watched the HBO episode, then listen to your podcast, then go back and watch the episode hmm. again with new eyes. Five stars all around. Thank you, Jan. Thank you so much, oh, Jan. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. Uh, see you next time, folks. Bye! Bye!